The focus of the third parak and the first half of the fourth parak of Sukkah are the Araminim, the four species which one is obligated to shake every day of Sukkah. Outside of the base Hamikdosh, the obligation is Midoraisa only on the first day. And on the rest of the days, it is Midrabonon as a commemoration of the fact that in the base Hamikdosh, it was Midoraisa for all seven days. Now, the first three Mishnahs of the Perek discussed various invalidations of the Lulav, Hadas, and Arava. And there are two main categories of invalidation. Number one is chaser, if a particular part of the aluminium is missing. And the second invalidation is one of hodar, if it is not beautiful. And at least according to the first three Mishnayis, the requirement of hodar, that it has to be beautiful, although it is only written in the Torah regarding the esrog, it applies to all of the aluminium as well. They are all compared to the esrog. We'll see in our Mishnah, this is not, this is not agreed upon by everybody. The question of our Mishnah is how many of each of the four minim, of the four species, does one have to take in order to fulfill his obligation? Rabbi Yishmael, Eimer. Rabbi Yishmael says, Shleisha Hadassim. Three Hadassim are required. The Torah calls Hadassim Anats Eitz Aves. It uses three words to describe the Hadassim, and we learn from there that one has to take three of them in order to fulfill his obligation. He also needs two Aravis branches. The Torah calls them Arve Nachal. Arovus of the stream, but it uses the word arve, which is the plural, which implies that there are at least two of them. Luluv echod, only one luluv is needed, even though the Torah says kapais tamarim, palm branches, in the plural, nevertheless, in the Torah it is spelt not kapois, with a vov which would be plural, but it is spelt without a vov. It's spelt in the singular. And so we learn from there that you only need one luluv and not two. And finally, the Esrog Echad, and only one Esrog is needed. The Torah says it in the singular. So altogether, that's three Adasim, two Aravas, one Lulav, and one Esrog, exactly like we do nowadays. Now we learned in Mishnah base that a Hadas where the stem, the tip of the stem has been chopped off, is invalid. Now interestingly, over here, Bishmal says, Even if two out of three of the Hadasim are chopped off at the top, the Echad Enukotum, if one of them is not chopped off, then it is still valid. Now, at first glance, this doesn't make much sense. If when it's chopped off, it's invalid, so it's as if he only has one Hadas now. But Rabbi Shmuel says you need three of them. So the Gemara explains that originally Rabbi Shmuel said the one requires three Hadasim. Later on, he changed his mind, he learned differently, and he said that only one Hadas is necessary. However, he did not change and say that all of a sudden you only need one Hadas. He still ruled that you should take three Hadasim in order to sort of increase and beautify the mitzvah. However, since the main part of the mitzvah is only the one Hadas, it is enough that only one of them not be cut off at the top. Rabbi Tarifin and Rabbi Tarifin says, Even if all three of them have been chopped off, because Rabbi Tarifin argues on Mishnah base, and he holds that the requirement of Hodar, of it being beautiful, does not apply to the Hadassim. We do not learn the Hadassim from the Esrog, and only by the Esrog does the Torah say that it has to be beautiful. Now Rabbi Tarifin does hold that you need three of them, however. You need three Hadassim, but they can all be chopped off at the top. Now according to Rabbi Akiva, we do learn the other minim from the esrog, so therefore they all do need to be hodar. And we also learn the other minim from the esrog in terms of something else, not just that they have to be hodar, but also in terms of the number of the minim which one needs. Just like by the esrog, one only needs one esrog, so too we learn the other minim from the esrog, and we learn that one only requires one of each of the abra minim. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, Just like one only requires one lulav, 
And one esrog, kach hadas echod v'arova echos. So to who requires only one hadas and one arova. Mission here we've discussed the invalidations of the lulav of the arova and the hadas. And now the mission discusses the invalidations of an esrog. And once again, esrog hagozel v'hayovesh posel. An esrog which is stolen or dried out is invalid, just like when it comes to a lulav, hadas, and arova. If it's stolen, it's invalid because of mitzvah habob avera. But a mitzvah which came about via an avera is not considered a mitzvah. And a dried out esrog is considered invalid because it is not considered hodor, it's not considered beautiful. If it comes from an Asherah tree, a tree which is worshipped as Avodazara, or from Iran Adachas, which is a city who worships Avodazara and therefore needs to be destroyed, needs to be burnt, possible it's invalid, because since these things need to be burnt, the Torah views them as if they're sort of already destroyed, and so they lack the minimum size, the minimum dimensions, because it's as if they've already been burnt. And for the same reason, shall orla, an esrog which comes from an orla tree, any fruit tree, during the first three years, it's, in, it's forbidden to benefit from it. And it's known as an orla tree, and all its fruit has to be burnt. So again, it lacks that minimum size, and therefore posel, it is invalid. And for the same reason, shall truma tamea posel, an esrog which is truma, which is the gift which goes to karnim. And the halach is that if truma becomes tome, it has to be burnt. So if the esrog was given as truma, to a coin, and then it became Tomei. Possible it is invalid, because again it needs to be burnt. Now when it comes to Orla and Trumatomea, there is an additional reason, and that is that the Torah says, lochem, that you should take for yourself. So Orla, which is forbidden to benefit from, is not considered taking for yourself. And also Tomei Truma, since the Esrog is really a fruit, and so in general it could be eaten, but if it is Tomei Trume, it can no longer be eaten, so it's no longer considered totally lochem, yours, one which you would be able to benefit from, and therefore it is invalid. Now, shall Truma Tahira, if the Esrug is Truma, so it was given to a coin as a gift of Truma, and it is pure, so a coin would be able to eat it, he would be able to benefit from it, there's no problem. However, the Mishnah says that ideally lo yitol, he should not take that and use it as the Araminim to fulfill his obligation, and this is forbidden with Rabbanon. The reason being that in general, the other three um, species, the Lulav, Hadas, and Arovas, in order to keep them moist and fresh and not dried out, they are kept in water. Now the halach is that something can only become Tomei, something which goes from the ground can only become Tomei once it has got wet after being plucked from the ground. Now since an esrog is always kept and used together with the Lulav, Hadas, and Arova, since the Lulav, Hadas, and Arova need to be wet, it's very likely that the esrog will end up becoming wet. And if the esrog will end up becoming wet, and it is truma, so there is a danger of it becoming tomei. Now it's an obligation to guard truma from becoming tomei. So even by making it possible to become tomei, meaning by making it wet, such that from that moment onwards, if something tomei touches it, it will become tomei. So you have made it more easy for it to become tomei, and since it is truma, that is forbidden. However, this is only forbidden with Jabonon, and therefore Vim Notau. If he did take that and he did shake that as part of the Araminim kosher, the Esrog itself is valid, of course. It's only a precaution which should be made with Jabonon. Shall Demai, what happens if the Esrog is an Esrog of Demai? Demai refers to produce or fruit, which is bought from an Amhoaret, somebody who is ignorant of many halachas, and he is not necessarily trusted with regards to separating the tithes. And although Mudu Oraisa, if somebody buys something from an Amharet, he can trust that he did separate the tithes, Midrabonon he has to separate the tithes again. However, since this requirement is only Midrabonon, in certain cases of need, the Rabbonon did not decree this decree. For example, the Rabbonon said that poor people 
are allowed to eat demai even without separating the tithes again. Now because of that, the demai is technically fit for eating, and so an esrog of demai can be used in its regular way of eating, so it is considered to be lochem for yourselves, and even if you yourself are not poor, anybody is able to make themselves poor in an instant. You could technically give away all of your possessions, you could declare all of your possessions ownerless, and so technically that esrog is considered to be fit for eating, and so it is considered to be lochem. However, according to Beis Shammai, the requirement of separating tithes from demai even applies to poor people. And because of that, Beis Shammai Paislin, Beis Shammai say it is invalid, this esrog, since it's forbidden to benefit from it just like tevel, just like produce and fruit which the tithes have definitely not been separated from. Or Beis Shammai but Beis still say that it is considered valid, since it is not an absolute obligation to tithe that again. One could technically make themselves poor and not need to separate the tithes from that esrog. Now there is an obligation, at least during many of the years of the Shmita cycle, to separate a tenth of one's produce as Maishashaini. Now this is a tithe which you don't give to somebody else necessarily. Rather, you yourself can eat it yourself, but you have to eat it in Yerushalayim. So an esrog which is Maishashaini, outside of Yerushalayim, it is invalid, since you cannot eat it, you can't use it in its regular way, it's not considered to be lochem for yourself something which you yourself would be able to benefit from. The question is, if it is in Yerushalayim, can it be used? So the truth is, this is exactly like Truma, which is Tahar, because also my Sashani, just like Truma, cannot become Tomei. And because of that, just like we explained by Truma, ideally lo yitol, shall my Sashani Yerushalayim, a esrog of my Sashani in Yerushalayim lo yitol, you should not take it and shake it as part of the Arba Minim, because it might become wet, and then become Tomei. However, the Imnotal, if you did take it and shake it, then Kosher is considered valid, because the Esrog itself is certainly valid. It should be noted that all of these discussions of Truma and Orla, Maishashani, etc., they are only relevant to an Esrog, because an Esrog is actually an edible fruit, which would be obligated in tithes and Orla, etc., unlike the other three of the Aramenim. Right, mission involved. Also, Chazazis al Rubai, if a Chazazis appeared on the majority of the Esrog. A Chazazis is some sort of boil, some sort of wart, which is found on some Esrogim. And if there is a large one, or sort of a group of them which are connected, and it can be seen on the majority of the Esrog, such an Esrog is invalid. Now, apart from that, if there are more than one of these boils, let's say you have three different boils on the esrog. So in that case, just from the fact that it now is, it looks spotty, it already loses its beauty and is therefore invalid because it is not hodor. Nitla pitmosai, if it's pitom, which is the small brown stem at the top of the esrog, if that gets taken off, then it is also invalid. It is considered to be choser. However, this only applies to an esrog which grew with a pitom. If it didn't grow the pitom at all, then it's not considered to be choser, and therefore it is con- still considered to be valid. But if it did grow the pitom and then it fell off, so then it's considered to be choser, and so invalid. Another invalidation of an esrog is niklaf, if its outer layer, its thin, thin outer peel, gets peeled off, so it's no longer considered to be beautiful. Nistak, if there is a crack in the esrog, it's also not considered to be beautiful. And now nikav, if either... There is a hole which goes through the entire esrog from one end to another. And we're talking about a case where none of the esrog is actually missing. If you imagine you put, let's say, a nail from one end of the esrog through the other. So you've now got a hole throughout the entire esrog, but none of the esrog is actually missing. So that would be invalid because of Hodar. 
Or, says the Mishnah, the chosar kol shahu. If there's any tiny amount of the esrog which is missing, so it could be there's a small hole at the beginning of the esrog, it doesn't go through the entire esrog, but part of the esrog was actually taken out. So then it would be invalid because of chaser, and in all of these cases possible, the esrog would be considered invalid. Alright, now what happens if also chazaz al mi'utoy, if the chazazis, this sort of boil, came up onto the esrog, but only on the minority of the esrog? Less than half of the esrog is covered by this chazazis, nital uktoy, or if its oiketz gets taken off, the oiketz is the other stem, which is on the opposite side of the pitom, this is where the esrog is cut off of the tree, so this is sort of the remainder of the actual stem, if that gets taken off, so that's not actually considered to be part of the esrog, part of the fruit itself, and therefore it will be valid, it is not considered to be chaser. And now says the Mishnah, which we're going to translate to mean that he made a hole in the esrog, but the hole did not go through the entire esrog, and none of the esrog was missing as a result of the hole. So in that case, kosher, the esrog is valid. Only if either the hole goes through the entire esrog, or it causes part of the esrog to be missing, only then would it be invalid. Continues the Mishnah, Esrog HaKushi, which literally means an Ethiopian esrog, which refers to a very dark esrog, Possible is invalid, and the Gemara explains this is only invalid in a place where the, gen- the most esrogim are lighter, they're yellow and green, so, if, so like, like our esrogim. So if we were to see a very dark esrog nearing the color black, so it would not look beautiful to us at all and so it would be invalid. However, in a place where all of the esrogim are like that, and people, that was the general custom anyway, to take these dark esrogim, so then it is considered to be beautiful for them, and it would be valid. Vahyorik Karsi, if the esrog is as green as a leek, and it hasn't got any yellow bits yet, it's totally green, so Meir says it is considered valid. As long as it's grown to its full regular size, it is considered to be ripe, and so it can be used. However, Rabbi Huda Paisel, Rabbi Huda says it is invalid because it's not considered ripe yet and it has not fully grown and therefore it cannot be used to fulfill one's obligation of shaking the esrog together with the abraminim. The Gemara does add that if it is green but it will turn yellow by itself, so even Rabbi Huda would agree that it is considered to be valid and it is considered to be ripe enough. Mishazayin, what exactly are the dimensions for an esrog? Sheer esrog cotton, the size, the minimum size that an esrog needs to be. Rabbi Meir Oimer, Rabbi Meir says, Ke'egoiz, it has to be the size of a walnut. Rabbi Yehuda Oimer, Rabbi Yehuda says, Kebeitza, has to be the size of an egg. Now they both agree that it has to be considered fully grown. The question is, what exactly do we consider to be fully grown? Which stage of growth is considered the stage at which it has grown enough to be considered a proper ripe esrog? Alright, with a godol, and when it comes to the maximum size that an esrog could be, According to Yehuda, it has to be small enough that you're able to hold two of them in one hand. The reason being that one needs to carry and hold the lulav, to which the Hadas Manarovas are tied, and the esrog at the same time. As well as that, you have to hold the lulav in the right hand, the esrog in the left hand, and because of all of this, as, as he's switching them, as he's holding them, carrying them, it is likely that he might end up dropping the esrog, which could very much invalidate the esrog. It might become not beautiful, the pitta might come off, and so to avoid that, according to Yehuda Midirabonon, one should make sure his esrog is small enough that he is able to hold two of them in one hand. Some versions of the Mishnah read Shnehem, not Shnayim, rather Shnehem, which means both of them, meaning the Lulav and the esrog. Not that you would have to hold two esrogim in one hand, it doesn't have to be that small, but rather that you have enough room to hold both the esrog and the Lulav. 
Now, Rabbi Yossi says that it's true that that is a danger, but the Rabbonin didn't decree anything because of that. It's more of a practical point. And so, Afiru even if it's so large that one esrog requires two hands to hold it, even then it is valid and there is no maximum size, according to Rabbi Yossi, that the esrog must be.